0: Namaste Jai Hind, you're watching or listening to ANI Podcast with Smita Prakash. Do keep writing in to us with suggestions on who you would like to watch or listen to in this podcast. Today we have former Air Chief, Air Chief Marshal RKS Bhadoria. He headed the Indian Air Force from 2019 to 2021. He has experience on 26 different types of fighter jets and transport aircraft. Air Marshal Bhadoria has served as Chief Test Pilot and Project Director of National Flight Test Center on the Tejas LCA project. He took over from Air Marshal Dhanoa after the airstrikes on Balakot in Pakistan, which we shall discuss. During Air Marshal Bhaduria's term, there was proactive deployment of Indian offensive capabilities in eastern Ladakh. Joining me in the studio today is my colleague and National Security Editor at ANI, Ajit Dubey. Thank you so much, sir, for being part of the podcast. Uh, I've already shot the introduction before you came in. I didn't want to take much of your time. Uh, We are honored to have you in our studio. I've been wanting to ask you several questions uh, with regard to what happened in Galwan, what happened in the Court strikes. So much to ask you and about our uh, strength. Um, let me begin, uh, you know, about the post-Galwan clashes, 2020 and 2021, uh, where we saw proactive deployment of India's offensive capabilities well uh, beyond that of, you know, what our conventional uh, deployment is. So tell me what happened in the Eastern uh, sector at that time. We'll begin with the East and we'll go on to the West after that. So yeah. tell me at that time what happened?
1: See, Galwan was a very uh, you know, serious issue losing 20 of our Jawan, you included. It was a very, very, I think, sad uh, day and a very serious development. So we took that uh, overall picture into account, uh, the possibilities of escalation and how things could uh, move from there. And therefore I was very clear uh, what we need to do and uh, we deployed uh, operationally uh, to the requirement that existed at that time. And uh, and ensured that uh, the deployment is rapid as we intend to do in any warlike situation, mm. and uh, we reached our uh, off state very fast. Also, the intent was to quickly free up the heavy lift forces, uh, uh, you know, C-17s, the C-130s, for tasks that would quickly come up. I knew uh, you know some heavy deployment requirements would come from the army, and that is what we did uh, uh, thereafter, mm. uh, wherever required, to whatever extent required by the army, movement of troops, tanks, heavy equipment, guns, vehicles, whatever. I don't think there was ever a time where army needed to move something and our aircraft was not already positioned. Hmm. So that was the scale at which we moved and so the situation demanded it and we, we acted really fast.
0: So when the Galwan clash happened, yeah. uh, you knew that something big has happened and yeah. it's on your watch at that time, you're the air yeah, chief. Yeah, yeah. So did you feel that, okay, this is like a Kargil moment or mm-hmm. this is like a near war or a conflict situation mm-hmm. and you are in the chair. What do you, as commanding your forces, what do you think of at that stage?
1: No, it was very clear that it's a serious situation and uh, there was a real possibility of escalation mm-hmm. and we wanted to be sure that uh, we are in position and and not caught napping. So we moved the very next day, we started our deployments immediately. So our action was immediate. And, and I think that uh, uh, made the right impact in terms of firstly, we d- reached our operational state quickly. And secondly, uh, China saw what uh, we intend to do. What and, was it what that China saw? They saw our deployment. Everything is uh, visible. Everything uh, moves, uh, you know, the satellite pictures, you can make out everything. So the kind of deployment that we did and the kind of deployment army did uh, quickly thereafter, uh, it was very clear that uh, we we are there to uh, handle any situation that may emerge.
0: Did that come as a surprise uh, for China, you think, that uh, our quick deployment and without, not just quick, but uh, that there was no political, um, you know, uh, what should I say, nervousness or uh, withholding and discussion and a slow uh, deployment, and it was immediate that everybody was in line.
1: They, it would have uh, really surprised them the pace at which we moved, and and the kind of forces we moved, both from air power uh, perspective and uh, the army movements itself. Uh, it would have come as a surprise to them, mm. I'm sure.
2: Sir, uh, talking about like, uh, I was uh, fortunate to be present in the Ladakh sector Mm -hmm. at the the time when all these developments were taking place. Now you talked about how you helped the army to mobilize, Mm -hmm. sending troops, equipment and everything very fast. But what actually, if you can tell us in terms of fighter deployment, types of fighter deployment, uh, and how did you help the army, Specifics uh, like uh, number of troops and all these which were moved in that time.
0: Because you you moved Rafal immediately. I think this is first deployment of yeah. the, the Rafal
2: soon, soon after. Soon yeah. after when Rafal had, after had after just
0: yeah. come in, right? Yeah, and you had MiG twenty nines and everything that yeah. you moved. See, yeah. our
1: initial deployment, we uh, our our uh, largest force deployment was primarily Su thirties, MiG twenty uh, nine, the Mirages and Jaguars. Uh, so this this was immediate. Rafales came in a little later. Mm. Along with this, importantly, uh, the deployments of all other combat equipment, be it radars, be it uh, SAMs, be it uh, no uh, shoulder SAMs, everything that was required in that area, uh, along with this deployment, your networks, your uh, other forces that need to come in, your your uh, you know uh, AVACS refuelers. So that deployment was immediate. Uh, also importantly. Uh, we moved the weapons and ensured that, uh, you know, we have the weapons capability in place along with the deployment. Only then you are operational. We moved uh, Brahmos which had just about come in. We had mm. just got operational, we expedited it and moved it. The, and, and the
2: Brahmos fitted on
1: the Su-30 on the Su-30. Uh, Astra trial, had just uh, uh, initial phase was over. So it was the
0: first uh, time that was on Su 30s. Absolutely, oh. absolutely,
2: was deployed along.
1: And uh, Astra trial was just uh, in the initial stages. Some uh, uh, missiles had been fired, so it was at a trial stage. Whatever aircraft were available, we moved with, uh, even those. So the uh, the best of the weapons, I would say, and, and our capability, the uh, the leading edge, the the best missiles with the uh, let's say the Mirages the most accurate weapons, air to ground, uh, uh, precision weapons, all weapons of concern in that situation were moved.
3: Hmm.
1: Uh, Rafael came in a little later. Hmm. The moment Rafales were ready, uh, Rafael induction actually uh, was the next level of our combat uh, capability there. Hmm. Uh, if you remember, uh, I, don't think, uh, I don't know whether you remember that when we flew in the Rafales, we decided to uh, fly directly to India. Without, so, without stopping. Normally we do two stopovers and uh, then reach India mm. and thereafter induct. So it's it's a 10-15 day affair. Whereas in this case with hardly any, you know, our pilots had just flown 35, 38 hours, mm. odd hours, maybe 40 hours each. And in air to air refueling on that aircraft, uh, the French Air Force helped. They got trained with two, three sorties. Just with that experience, because we had confidence in the aircraft, and the uh, and the pilots who were sent for training, we decided to ferry straight. Hmm. Uh, it but was the
0: pilots had done almost a year of training, if I'm uh, not mistaken.
1: Uh, the training itself was t- around less say, thirty-five to forty hours. Yeah. But uh, initially, MCF, it was uh, some had six months, some had eight months training. Yeah. But in terms of hours, in terms of experience, this was the range 35 40 hours. Okay. So uh, in in a normal case, we wouldn't have uh, you know taken this level of risk for a direct uh, ferry. But because of our confidence in aircraft and because we wanted it early, we decided to take this step. And uh, let me tell you, every single formation flew direct, eight hours plus flight, every single formation. And uh, th- that boosted the confidence level of our pilots. It got the aircraft in early. It was COVID times. Mm. Uh, we just quarantined them for three days. And within a week, they were flying overlay. So just three days into their own local flying area, uh, just. Uh, setting up their own squadrons, and uh, in a week they were there. Within 15 days, we fired a missile from uh, uh, Rafael.
0: 15 days of the aggression.
1: Uh, 15 days of landing in in, in India. In okay. so this was the fastest operationalization of the squadron, so to say, of the aircraft. Okay. Normally, when aircraft comes in, you take time, settle down. You know. Uh, curtsy cur- uh, cur- g- the, the Chinese aggression. Curtsey the Chinese and curtsy the situation there. Uh, and and this was the uh, cutting edge, tech, uh, you know, capability that we had.
0: And it must. What was the situation in the sense that you know the the troops on the ground, the uh, the army has always wondered in the past. I guess I'm presuming this is what happened in Kargil because I didn't report there, but I've heard that the army always um, has this thing that the air force gets deployed after a period of time because there's been a gap between. Mm-hmm. The ground forces, what happens, and the, the aggression, ground forces, the infantry, artillery, and after a few weeks, the air force. Here, nothing of that sort happened. No, no,
1: no, nothing at all. In fact, our deployment is the fastest, uh, and and uh, what normally I think uh, you're referring to is army at times wants that uh, their uh, level of support to their ground forces should be uh, that should be straight away mm-hmm. that. Uh, in in the earlier days, used to be about after two to three days because when you start a air campaign, you need some time to mm. kind of uh, do the counter air and do initially tackle the situation so that uh, adversaries' air power doesn't interfere with their forces. You you know degrade it, uh, attack the runways, attack all their uh, you know V A V P S to be able to control the situation and get a kind of superiority in the areas that you desire. So uh, the larger chunk of uh, support required for the ground forces used to happen after 3 days hmm. but uh, we have already changed the situation with, because of the kind of weapons available because of the kind of effort available i had assured the army that uh, this this is you know history we would be there from day 1 uh, uh, in your support requirement too and and uh, that was another uh, level of change that we had assured them that uh, this will happen from day 1 so we would do everything kind of concurrently of course, there would be an element of priority and what needs to be tackled. Mm. Uh, there are counterair uh, issues that you need to really address. Otherwise, your army itself will be affected. You need to uh, get the adversary's uh, launch bases, uh, their uh, critical uh, combat assets. You know, you have to hit them early or their ammo. So, so it's all a combination. Mm. And and I think today we have the capability to do it uh, more or less concurrently.
2: Sir, uh, when. Uh, uh when this entire thing was happening, we know that the army says that we did mirror deployment of. Uh, they had deployed around fifty thousand troops, so we also moved uh, moved in around fifty thousand uh, troops on ground. But there were a lot of things which were happening in air as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking at the deployment that Air Force uh, made in that area, that that time they had their air bases in Kashgar, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. the Hotan air base, and all these places. How was the situation in air at that time when the Chinese were doing aggression and trying to change the uh, status quo on LAC on ground? What was happening on the aerial front at that time for which you had to deploy, sir?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, in in the uh, pre-Galwan time is what you are asking, initially, yes, sir. Uh, there, there was a kind of uh, their deployment for excise. And uh, normally at uh, such times, Uh, there is a level of air activity, there is a level of deployment of their air assets and it was largely similar, it was largely similar. uh, But obviously they had uh, factored in uh, this activity for uh, uh, their aggressive intent. Uh, The moment that got realized, uh, we moved our forces and they moved their forces uh, too quite quickly thereafter. So they were uh, in the region of uh, depending on times 100 to 150 aircraft at times 170. Uh, across uh, in the area of concern and uh, more importantly the moment we moved, the way we moved in terms of the kind of assets, the weapons etc, they uh, really did a lot of deployment of their radars and their surface-to-air missiles, so, so they, their deployment was defensive in nature, they knew our offensive capability in the area, they really started to step up their infrastructure and combat deployment in this area
2: is that the reason why they brought in their HQ series air defense guns and the S400
1: of course they, they they and it continued to increase their, their number of radars if you see uh, the timeline of deployment the the way our deployment panned out they they were surely worried and they continued to deploy Increasingly more number of uh, surface-to-air missiles.
0: So when we, we deployed, it was with it was so d- rapid, and you were moving, uh, you were moving your uh, vehicles, uh, armed vehicles. You were moving uh, radars, SAMS. Everything was being moved, right? Yeah. And RT guns were being moved. It was done in such a rapid manner. Did that mean that you did suspect a major conflict was going to happen, and that is why everything fell into place so quickly?
1: No, I, I would say uh, uh, not about a major conflict, but the situation was volatile. situation was not normal and there were uh, bright chances of escalation because you lose 20 men. It is not a normal situation. Hmm. It is absolutely not a normal situation. It's unacceptable as far as, as, as I see it. So uh, we, we didn't know how it will pan out and it, you have to be prepared. Hmm. So we prepared for the worst case scenario immediately. Hmm. And, and uh, that intent, I think, uh, would have been seen by the Chinese side too.
2: Do you think, sir, uh, our rapid deployments deterred them to further escalate the, uh, it would the have. situation?
1: It would have. If you see the kind of air power and the kind of army deployments that happened and uh, 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 there overall and the kind of equipment that the army brought in, it would have deterred them. It, it certainly would have uh, uh, given them a sense of what, uh, you know, See, in, in that situation, if they had to take any offensive action, it, it would have required a massive uh, induction of forces, additional forces from their side. So of course, the, the level of our deployment was a serious deterrent.
0: So, uh, the Raksha Mantri was uh, in the eastern sector uh, recently and 90 infrastructure projects uh, have been inaugurated and there are airfields including in West Bengal which have been made operational. Along with the NUMA airfield which is coming up in Eastern Ladakh. So, NUMA is also very significant, right, of that Eastern Ladakh airfield. uh, There there is an
2: ALG which which exists, Hmm. but uh, this is now being prepared for fighter aircraft operations.
0: And what does that mean, like does that mean that you Enforce the runway? What does that mean preparing for… Uh,
1: it, it, uh, fighter aircraft operations are possible only if you prepare it like a runway Okay. and and uh, currently we operate from lay all the fighter offs so uh, NUMA will become another launching base. Huh. So it is important and that is a step we took in terms of infrastructure development from air assets, launching assets point of view. Okay. So NUMA is an important asset uh, from that perspective. Also a lot of development, uh, uh, we took some steps yeah. that, that should be uh, available. Uh, in the northeast, a lot of infrastructural uh, development started. Uh, in our areas where radars were deployed, where are all other equipment, a uh, fair amount of infrastructural uh, growth came up quickly from our side. Hmm. Uh, so so there was a big thrust on infrastructure, and that was required. I think okay. it was. Uh, but we
0: are still playing catch up with what the Chinese have done on their side. We are right? playing
1: catch up, uh, no doubt. In fact, uh, one of the. Uh, most important thing we observed that after our deployment, especially after Rafael came in and they brought their J20s and they continue to increase the number of J20s. So it was quite a serious deployment from their side and uh, J20
2: mm. is the Chinese fifth generation fighter is the aircraft. fifth
1: generation fighter aircraft the day we took uh, Rafael there the next day they were they had j20s there mm. and they continue to increase as our Rafael numbers continue to increase this is uh, uh,
0: a which we were talking about yeah. now this is at 13000 feet uh, 13000 uh,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. around 13 14000
0: 13000 14, 13, yeah is it just for defensive purposes or is it defensive and offensive and is there a difference uh, in the landing strip out there when it is offensive? Purpose aircraft. No, the
1: it? landing strip wise, it it, it would cater for uh, let's say fighter operations to a particular load. So you cater for the max weight. Hmm. Uh, so it will cater from offense-defense point of view for both. However, at high altitude, the amount of load that you can take off with gets reduced. Hmm. So uh, the the operations of fighter uh, in C two from these high altitude largely become air defense oriented. They would still have a fair amount of air to ground or uh, attack capability. Our, our bigger attack capability comes from airfields which are at lower elevations and that is where also a lot of our deployment was there. From this perspective to carry heavier weapons and larger numbers and to be able to strike our targets still.
0: So why yeah. are these airfields in that sector, including NIOMA, why is it called, being called a ga- game changer as far as air air defence is concerned on the western sector? It's a game-changer. The eastern up. sector, sorry. Uh, yeah.
1: It, uh, no. Uh, on the on the northern side, uh, NEOMA was important because the number of airfields from fighter operations perspective was low okay. in, in that area. Let's say Lay Le was uh, there. It was important for this to come up. In the eastern sector, similarly, uh, we have uh, the air bases already. We have built ALGs uh, which are capable of transport operations and some capable of fighter operations too. We have done some operations there. So that increases the number of launch bases. Uh, uh, we also mix our operations with civil airfields, which exist, mm. uh, whichever civil airfields exist. Mm. So it it increases our options, and uh, you must remember that uh, one of the strong points of Chinese uh, forces is their rocket force. Mm. So their offensive arm is really the rocket force and their air launched cruise missiles, at six operated. Mm. That would be their their uh, leading arm on the offense, and so you need to disperse. You need to prevent uh, you know attrition to your forces. Dispersion is very, very important, uh, and, and from that perspective, having larger number of airfields is, is the key.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. but what about the, uh, the Chinese building their infra in the sense of even entire villages, tunnels, roads, bridges, uh, how are we in comparison to that?
1: no they they are faster and ahead and mm. and in the extent and pace uh, I, I think across but we have we have caught up the kind of development now taking place mm. uh, over the last 2 years that have uh, th- that has been initiated we we are doing what is right to be done mm. uh their uh, focus is in two ways one looking at our offensive capability they started to strengthen uh, their defensive that means the kind of uh, aircraft shelters they started to make the kind of tunnels, the kind of uh, protection for their equipment, Uh, there was a huge impetus on that. And that is uh, primarily from our uh, offensive capability, their defensive action. But all other, that means your road connectivity, your tunnels, your your bridges, etc., those are for their troops movement, communication, logistics. Mm. Uh, That from our viewpoint uh, is something that can be handled if a conflict is there. Uh, we would interdict uh, and, and hit those targets quite easily. Uh, but uh, if there are a lot of aircraft shelters, now hitting 20 aircraft shelters and each aircraft shelter having uh, one project, it, it will take a lot of time and a lot of weapons. So that that's what they were trying to do.
0: So, uh, one question I always was wanted to know is, you know, these these aggressive posturing sorties which are carried out yeah. just after a conflict of the kind that we saw in Galwan. We saw their aircraft take those things, then we go on. Has that reduced? Yes, it has. It has? It
1: has. After that, it has. It has continued to reduce. And uh, it is, uh, I would say, near normal now, except in at, at, at some times when there are deployments be it for exercise or be it for some other activity, that it comes up.
0: Do we t- speak to them before conducting an exercise like we do, you know, like commander's talk in on the western sector, when uh, when Pakistan does something, India does something, we tell them that this is happening. Does that happen even if, there? If it's
1: a large exercise, it is intimated, but for the normal exercise, it's not so. It's n- it's not there's so. no need. Okay.
0: Yeah. How do we rank, if you were to say, the Indian Air Force and the Chinese Air Force, where do we rank? Uh, you know, aircraft to aircraft terms?
1: Aircraft to aircraft, uh, uh, this is a complicated question. <laughs> now, now uh, before we start to rank ourselves, you should, uh, I think, look at uh, uh, one of the US think tanks ranking, which I think does every year. And this is the first time they brought us uh, on third position above China in okay. combat capability. Okay. That is another independent body. So this mm. is just just since you asked this. But if you ask me, uh, Combat capability where it matters, that means uh, the kind of technology in weapons ranges we have caught up, hmm. especially with the rifle induction, hmm. the hmm. kind of missile meteor has come, we are, our missile ranges are similar, our capability to hit is similar. They are ahead in rocket forces, the number of cruise missiles, uh, they are ahead, the kind of SAMs and the numbers they are ahead. So in quantum, both in aircraft and other combat assets, they are far ahead, but we must remember. In the area that we talk about, they can bring to bear a certain amount of air power and we have enough to do, enough capability to counter it and to overpower it. So that is important. mm -hmm. Technologically, they spent a lot of money uh, Mm. uh, and and effort in in, uh, developing uh, new tech. Mm. So uh, that is where the gap uh, was there and we have to ensure that it doesn't increase. Mm. So in quantum they are ahead, in some in rocket forces and number of SAMs certainly ahead. But in tech and overall capability and where it matters we will match them, we will not let them win. Right. So that is
2: it. Sir, uh, if there was an aerial conflict right after Galwan, if they had tried to do an aggression, aerial aggression as well, what would have been the outcome, sir?
1: Short answer, we would have won. On the air side, no doubt. No, sir. And by that I mean also ensuring that our ground forces are not interfered. Of course, there would be damage. There would be some level of you uh, know attrition. But overall conflicts, to so to say, the air situation, the air, air conflict itself, we would have come out uh, on top.
2: And they showed signs that they know that we won't be able to do that. Of course, much. they
1: showed signs in the sense they brought their best equipment. They 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 really brought in the numbers of SAMs that they did. And we had to kind of... Uh, uh, make changes to our own plans uh, to uh, cater for that but uh, that was the situation we had huge offensive uh, power there and uh, they were uh, kind of defensive in nature and their offensive capability was largely the rocket forces and the launched cruise missile the other forces in the uh, fifth generation was also largely defensive in nature they, they it has a good missile and you had them.
2: the Brahmos to answer uh, as an answer to uh, the SAMS that they had brought in?
1: Uh, one of the answers. There were other uh, other weapons too. But that was one of the critical ones.
0: So you were in Taiwan recently and so were your uh, uh, mm. NDA cosmates, the former uh, Army Chief, former Naval Chief. All three of you at the same time in Taiwan, that must have got the Chinese antenna up.
1: I'm not sure if it did
0: okay you you
1: have to tell me it wasn't just a uh, uh,
0: sightseeing tour was it
1: no it was a think tank discussion and i think uh, what transpired there can't be discussed here so i'll leave it at that
0: a lot of media attention (laughs) towards that because the the photographs were very enigmatic but of course i know that none of you will talk about it in detail but uh, there was a lot of talk even when um, just before president biden came in for the g20 there was this whole talk that if there is an aggression, uh, if Chinese troops are play an aggressive role in Taiwan, what will be India's position? And there was a lot of talk in the American media, but Indian media was kind of silent because nobody will talk about that here. No, well,
1: I think uh, from what I read from the uh, news article itself, there there is thinking on as to of all the options within the M.O.D. And and I'm sure they are this seized kind of, of all ga- the possibilities. Yeah. And yeah. yes, you look at all these issues.
0: So this kind of yeah. wargaming is something that is uh, commonplace, that yeah, happens all the time? It's
1: bread and butter. I'm sure the Ministry is aware, the Defence Services are aware. They, they are doing the needful. There is no doubt.
0: Right. So I'm going to move towards the uh, Western sector now, uh, Western neighbour rather. Um, just before you took over as Air Chief, when the Balakot uh, strike happened, Operation Bandar, can you tell us something about that? When you first heard about it, what was your reaction and what was the Air Force reaction? Uh,
1: fr- on the Operation Balakot itself? Yeah. Yes. No, Balakot, I think very clearly uh, it was a very well designed uh, operation, very well planned very meticulous and executed uh, very well.
0: Sir, so I'm just going to uh, interrupt. Uh, there is a short primer that I have for our expat viewers on what uh, happened what happened before Balakot and what happened after Balakot. Here's the primer. On 26 February 2019, Indian aircraft entered Pakistani territory and conducted a bombing raid on a terror camp in Balakot in the province of Khyber Pakhtunwa in Pakistan operation bandar by the indian armed forces was in retaliation to the terrorist attack in pulwama indian jammu and kashmir in which 40 indian paramilitary soldiers were killed by a vehicle borne suicide bomber that was on the 14th of february by 26th the pakistani terror camp had been bombed in retaliation by indian air force so
1: yeah so so the bombing itself uh, was absolutely successful uh, in spite of uh, Pakistan being on higher uh, air defense alert, which we were monitoring because they were probably thinking that something, some action would be taken. In spite of that heightened situation, uh, our mission planning and execution was such and the overall deception that we planned that our main mission was uh, never intercepted. And whichever Pakistani Air Force aircraft got airborne, they were far away from our main areas, uh, our, our mission itself. So our mission stuck, the target was stuck, and uh, uh, thereafter they retaliated the next day, which, which you are aware. So in terms of achieving what was uh, required to be achieved, it was achieved, absolutely, without doubt.
0: So a terror camp was attacked, but how come the pictures that came out were what Pakistan put out, which and what the narrative Pakistan put out was that just crows died?
1: Yeah, what do you expect them to do? Their terror camp was hit. They were caught uh, napping, sleeping. Uh, our aircraft entered deep into their territory and strike uh, strike their uh, terror uh, camp. So uh, they they had to build a story and uh, you know put out this kind of narrative. Uh, what is important? You asked about pictures. We must understand the weather wasn't so good. The weather was bad. Uh, it was quite cloudy and uh, as you are well aware now it is since it's out in the media that one of the weapons that was planned which would have given us a, a, a closer picture uh, of the battle damage assessment too uh, uh, was not uh, dropped mm. so uh, we did not have the pictures from the weapon but we later on collated all the data from the satellite pictures and and had the idea of what all has been hit and damaged which which was uh, later on brought up in terms of their uh, approach and their uh, IW, so to say, that nothing was hit and some crow died. If the only the crow died, uh, why didn't they take the press and everybody to those uh, uh, buildings the very next day? Hmm. They took them after about 40 odd days. Hmm. Uh, and that too, not the buildings that were hit, it was some adjacent buildings. If you remember, hmm. uh, you know, the details that came out. So we are very clear about it. And, and you must remember, I think the larger picture is, the the political will to strike deep into the territory, uh, territory, uh, the terrorist camp. Hmm. That that was the intent. That was achieved. Thereafter, the military uh, uh, will and the capability to achieve that mission, hmm. that was achieved. So hmm. so very clearly, what we wanted to achieve, uh, it was done.
0: Do you remember that day? I mean, when when the news first came, I think you should tell us about that. How you broke the story? What happened?
2: Uh, ma'am, uh, if you remember, uh, uh, I guess you had, you had sent me the tweet uh, early in the morning, the tweet which was put out by Pakistan, uh, the DGISPR, that crows were killed and attack failed. So, we were also not ready to believe that Air Force had done so And
0: you know, it was a sense of deja vu, because uh, surprisingly, on the night that the uh, Osama bin Laden attack also happened, hmm. that night also, I was working on something and I was still awake. When I saw that tweet by that person saying that and then, you know, all this happened. So, when this tweet came out first, and I said, this is too deep, but because of that action, there I delayed the reaction till the morning. Yes. Here, I didn't want to delay and I immediately asked, Kiye kya hua pe. and
2: well, That day, luckily, I was also up uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, very early. I checked up with the then chief and he didn't give any answers i messaged him i tried to call him so i was sure that something had happened and uh, by ser- marshal right at that Air chief, chief marshal at that time no. and uh, by uh, by 8 o'clock we put out our first uh, tweet that uh, six mirages had crossed over and
0: and the channel's very cleverly at that time just put out ANI says because nobody wanted the <laughs> headache that if we break kar denge, to, the news. <laughs> yeah, we are going to get a call from the PR <laughs> saying, What the hell? Why have you done this? Yeah. So, we at that time, I was like, Are you sure, Ajit? I mean, you know, baat ho chuki. and he said, Anyway, I won't go into the details about how we cross checked and who we cross checked with, but there was first a sense of disbelief that the Indian aircraft went all the way mm-hmm. into. Khyber khayber and they were not challenged till till that point. There was a sense of disbelief initially when we checked on the map where Balakot was located. Yeah, yeah. And and,
1: and the sequence that you have uh, said was very clear. Since they were hit, they knew they have been hit, and they said, "No, no, yeah. some crows died." Uh, I don't know how they counted the crows. But uh, uh, when the mission lands, there is time to fly back. The aircraft are in different locations. You quickly analyze. Uh, what happened you debrief and then the uh, the the facts of the the strike and the chief result reaches headquarters the, the boss and then he would kind of brief uh, the ministry and and uh, put out and it would take a certain time and, mm. and that is what uh, the time, this timeline was so so in terms of uh, what we did it is it's very clear it's so very sir, and you said uh, unchallenged they aircraft uh, yeah. challenged but they challenged the wrong uh, people they yeah. were in the wrong area
0: So when something like this happens if you could tell us how it happens like how many people are there who take the decision and then how does it go
1: no obviously a decision uh, to do this would be uh, taken by the chief and thereafter communicated to the commander of the executing command so wsc in this case and wsc thereafter uh, there's a system uh, there are people uh, authorized and uh, deputed to do the mission planning, all that would have been done. It gets all checked out. That would have been done earlier itself, before the decision.
0: But the decision is taken as a political decision, isn't it? Of course, of course.
1: To strike is a political decision, absolutely. Uh, Okay. That's why I said… On the advice of the… That was the starting point, was the political will to strike a target so deep. Uh, It is not normal. After 71, this is the next time that we went. Even in Kargil, we didn't cross. Hmm. So, so uh, this this was the uh, I think uh, more important aspect of it that if you do something like Pulwama, this is what you get. If you if you do a cross border terrorism, you we will hit back.
0: Tell us about the uh, the targets. How do you think that these targets were chosen? That the target in Balakot it was one target or there were two camps? How many camps
1: were no, there? Was one camp essentially, and the, hmm. uh, some some targets were chosen within that camp. And the choice of uh, camp and target again, it's it's a uh, uh, decision which is taken with due concentration uh, of and uh, involvement of all agencies concerned. And so since J uh,
2: M uh, had carried out the suicide so attack, uh, so their headquarters. Yeah, I, I won't
1: go into how and why, but obviously all inputs are taken, and it's a. Uh, again, a decision which is cleared politically that this is what is to be done.
0: Wouldn't it have been easier or safer or without much of consequence or even operationally to choose targets, say something near the border, like 50 kilometers a 100 kilometers uh, but, but, but in Punjab. But, but to go to KPK was a big decision, right?
1: It was a decision and it was the intent that was displayed that we would hit you anywhere Mm. so this was their training camp with large number of people and deeper inside yeah and and uh, the point was that even there we will hit you uh, if you do this kind of terrorist act even in 71 we didn't go uh, no we would we have in 71 we went deeper we went all across so so th- okay. uh, yes but after that i mean that was proper war, so all targets were hit
0: right yeah and uh, tell us about when uh, wing commander abhinandan was captured uh, was india and more specifically the indian air force were they fearful that there could be a repeat of what happened with uh, group captain nachiketa 1999
1: no that fear disappeared quickly if there was any fear in any any any, any department because firstly it was uh, it was a different situation and uh, uh, thereafter quickly it was on the media uh, the pictures were all there and in this situation and uh, us having hit them so far deep uh, after a terrorist uh, attack uh, and the pulwama incident uh, the situation was absolutely different so i don't think there was any concern thereafter once it was in the media and tv all over that he's uh, uh, been captured that it would something like uh, that case would happen so uh, uh, so, so i don't think from that angle we were worried but of course, we were worried that uh, he should get the right treatment and uh, that pressure was uh, really increased from the government side. And you know what happened, how quickly he was released.
2: Hmm. So there's this video of a Pakistani MP speaking in his uh, assembly or parliament, whatever they call it, that uh, General Saab ke pair kaan he was actually criticising their own government that mm-hmm. how Imran Khan's government was forced to release Abhinandan. Mm-hmm. And there was this talk about that if didn't the Air Force was ready to pound Pakistan.
1: Mm-hmm. So was there a plan to do so? if they had? No, of course, uh, after an incident like this, once we are planning a attack on their camp, we expect some kind of retaliation. and uh, there was a level of preparation which was already in place. Of course, th- there was a background preparation and deployment which was in place. Uh, rest, uh, what Anko uh, that was covered there. I think it's uh, is just what he has seen. And international not sure pressure about uh, sir? that veracity. No?
0: International pressure on uh, on uh, Pakistan to release. Uh, captain Abhiranda, No, I would say uh,
1: simple common sense should have prevailed there, to, that they have no choice but to release him first mm. uh, in this situation. Uh, if Common they, sense, sir, uh, Pakistan
0: uh, common sense?
1: No, at times <laughs> uh, it does prevail. Uh, the situation was such that it should have prevailed and I think finally it did prevail. There would have been international pressure, there, would have, there was pressure from our government straight away mm. When when you say that so-and-so is to be released. Uh, and and uh, this is after a situation uh, where it could get as, uh, it could escalate and we were ready for escalation
0: so with regard to uh, again pakistan air force uh they've been boasting a lot online you are seeing this so one doesn't know how to take it seriously but they they talk about their uh their aircraft and how they're getting it from the chinese uh they talk about uh that you know they're getting air defense systems from the chinese Tell us about where does Indian Air Force uh, and Pakistan Air Force, where are we uh, in comparison? And, and
2: sir, adding to this, like uh, we are at around 30-35, 30-32 squadrons, fighter aircraft squadrons. Whereas the Pakistanis are now claiming to have 25 squadrons of fighter aircraft.
1: You know, um, we are no longer looking at Pakistani Air Force from our force structure building or our preparation point of view. We are totally focused on China and our ability that we need to build uh, with respect to China. Uh, When you do that, Pakistan Air Force gets catered automatically. And uh, you mentioned that they are boasting of their induction from the Chinese side, be it aircraft or SAMs or other weapon systems. We are aware of that and and, uh, we are aware of other equipment they've had. So overall, uh, if you're asking whether uh, Pakistani Air Force, the current uh, levels are a threat to us or uh, where are we with respect to them of course we are in a much better situation mm. undoubtedly a- and uh, why i say we are looking at uh, china is because that is where the real uh, you know situation in terms of adversary capability lies and and the future areas of uh, conflict that may come up where we need to be prepared so that is a capability we are looking and and we need to build to handle those capabilities rest mm. will fall into place Slowly Pakistan will continue to move towards China and become a subset of Chinese capability. Uh, that is how it is moving.
0: That's how you see it now?
1: Yeah, because their western uh, sources will continue to dry if they continu- if mm. similar situation continues. And their induction from China uh, partly sponsored, partly paid by them. And, uh, the way it uh, pans out, we don't know. But I think largely their uh, equipment will start becoming more and more Chinese.
2: So PLA, PLA Air Force, uh, Pakistan branch.
1: No, I mean, it will remain Pakistani Air Force, but their equipment will become. Uh, totally, that's what uh, I'm saying. M- m- move more towards Chinese equipment.
0: In fact, now uh, mm-hmm. there, I saw a media report which said that some of the weaponry which uh, the Americans had left behind in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. it's been found in Pakistan mm-hmm. and it's being used against Pakistani forces. So they are fe- facing aggression from their Western front mm-hmm. now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. It's 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 a pincer kind of a situation where uh, they're getting things from uh, China and they could be used, as you said, as a client state by China and they're being attacked by Afghanistan. It's not a comfortable situation to be in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the same issue back, if you have snakes in the background, they'll come to bite you someday. Yeah, Hillary so, Clinton's so, famous words. So so I think that is just playing out, And it's, and, it's absolutely very clear.
2: And w- now the thing is that now, sir, e- even if snakes, rear snakes in their backyard, <laughs> they will also get bitten yeah, by the snakes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's not uh, because see, they created see, you, Taliban uh, as a strategic death. Uh,
1: yeah. I think this relationship should dawn. You can't, uh, you know, uh, have strategies dependent hmm. on, uh, you, know, you know, supporting terrorism and uh, uh, sta- non-state actors or whichever way you put it and depend on them to do your, you know, you know first line of activity. So, this is something that will continue to bite them. And we know the state that they have reached, part of the reason is these kind of approaches. And
2: sir, like uh, on this, the next day of Balakot operations, the Pakistanis boast that they deliberately did not enter the Indian airspace and fired missiles at India and returned. They call it the swift retort. but they 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 decided against. They say we deliberately decided against entering Indian airspace, even though they filed uh, fired missiles at our bases mm-hmm. and all. Mm-hmm. So uh, how do you see that? Was it a good operation or?
1: No, see, swift retort. They had the initiative, and and in this much as far as this issue is concerned, that they did not enter airspace. More or less correct. Uh, Was it deliberate? It would have been deliberate from their side. It very much was in uh, deliberate from their side, and it was part of uh, controlling the escalation. Uh, This would have been. I mean, common sense did prevail there, and they didn't take uh, any action which would have escalated it further. Which was very clear. Firstly, the number of targets that they attempted to attack, and the kind of weapon used. Uh, The fact that we reacted in time and opposed their uh, this this mission uh their uh, it would have disrupted their attack plan the weapons didn't hit the target there is also a thought process that they were actually attacking a smaller target so it, again it doesn't uh, escalate possibly uh, true so overall but they, they o- could not hit any they, uh, of course none of the targets were hit none of the targets were hit so as far as we are concerned we uh, you know disrupted their attack plan and uh, these were weapons released from distance what were they,
0: the uh, the targets that they could have attacked and would have been uh, would have resulted in a full blown? No, they,
1: they had attacked uh, uh, army targets in, in that mm. location, mm. but uh, those targets again, uh, the nearest target to where the bombs hit, were not the 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 very very important targets. If they attacked the headquarters there, if they attacked some more serious uh, uh, target, it would have, of course, we wouldn't have sat quite after that. So, Was so, there a plan
0: uh, of action ready? Do you think that if if we were we ready bluntly were we ready for a full-blown
1: war no no i won't say a deployment because if we had deployed for a full-blown war it would have shown yeah it would have shown but uh, full-blown war uh, even they were not deployed Hmm. so they would take time too so it's not an issue it's it's not a a concern there was no
0: amassment of troops on the border from both
1: sides from both sides
0: and if that had happened that would have meant that post-Balakot, we were ready for a full-blown war, yeah. or even a, a controlled conflict, though I think that term doesn't exist anymore, yeah. there is nothing, because I think even the Russia-Ukraine thing was supposed to be a controlled small conflict, and it and didn't happen. It's been happen. going on yeah, for yeah. year yeah. and a yeah. half
2: almost. Yeah, yeah no,
1: two the, years almost. The yeah. important issue is uh, uh, that they didn't hit any target, if the t- any significant target, army target was hit,
3: hmm. or any
1: other target, and there was damage, loss of life, we wouldn't have sat quiet, thereafter we would have taken action, hmm. and they knew that. So, so uh, one is our, our, our opposition to their uh, uh, mission uh, uh, disrupted, second is they, to my mind, didn't choose any very significant target and that is just an escalation control measure. The uh,
0: narrative uh, war, sir, I right. want to come to that because it's, it's a bugbear that I have that as far as the narrative is concerned, even if today you open up and you check on the internet about what happened in Balakot, Indians... Indian social media will always say that it's a victory, but if you see the international media, they keep quoting Pakistan and they keep saying Indian forces admit or Indian forces claim that this happened, but there is, there is no proof that a terrorist camp was hit. So yeah. I think on the narrative front, uh, India was playing catch up or India was trying to g- do something without having absolute proof.
1: See, narrative-wise, because they were hit and they uh, we went deep inside their territory, hit a target, uh, it is it is not a, this thing that they can take easily. So they were with their back behind the wall, towards the wall, to be able to quickly, uh, you know, build a narrative uh, which is different, that we were not hit, only crows, uh, you know, were killed, and, and uh, this happened. We, on the other hand, I, I would agree that we were, uh, you you know when you hit a target as Air Force, it's it's in the nature that thereafter you are busy first analyzing uh, ensuring that your uh, what your data says, what your uh, mm. you know what uh, uh, results have been achieved, and only thereafter you put out that to you put out an official tweet or not put out. It's it's a matter of uh, environment situation, what you really want to do. Uh, in this situation, uh, I would say uh, in the hindsight, yes, we could have been much more proactive in our in our countering of such uh, information war. It was done, a little belatedly, but it was done. Uh, but we must remember that uh, they were on the defensive and they were trying to uh, you know project to your own to their own people that nothing happened. Did something happen? Of course it happened. The targets were struck. The, the, they never took anybody there for next 40 days. Uh, they never attempted a similar incident. There was no uh, cross-border terrorism of that extent thereafter. These are all results.
0: Didn't take uh, anybody for 40 days would mean that they have sanitized the place and then… Of course,
1: they, they sanitized, they had to rebuild, they had to do… And even after that, they had not taken to the main uh, building that was it. Hmm. They, they were taken uh, to the some of the buildings in the periphery. So, so, so the evidence is all there. Hmm. It, it is not uh, we who can go there and show them the evidence, it's all there.
0: So, I will now uh, move to the uh, Southern Command of the Air Force. You mm-hmm. were AOC and C out there. Could you tell us what the Southern Command does? It was set up in 84, yeah. uh, just after Operation Meghdoot, yeah. the success of Operation Meghdoot. Now, you, it was set up in 84. Why was it set up and what does
1: it do? No, the basic uh, issue is it has an area of responsibility in the Southern Peninsula and it is uh, responsible for air defense of the Southern Peninsula and also uh, the protection of VIVPs there. Uh, Depending on situation, so in the entire Indian Ocean area, uh, uh, any action required there or the offensive forces that operate in support of the Navy in Indian Ocean would operate from uh, the AOR of uh, Southern Air Command. Also after the command became operational and some uh, important assets, we moved Su 30s there with BrahMos. Instantly, Su-30s with Brahmos capability were first moved to Southern Command,
2: and uh, they huh? were inaugurated by you and General Bipin Rawat together. Absolutely, in that,
1: absolutely, and and the purpose was that that is uh, the fastest way to address any of the targets in support of Navy. Uh, uh, from that, that that gives us the right location to be able to achieve that, and if you draw a two thousand odd kilometer circle arc uh, from uh, you know Southern Command, you see uh, your coverage. Hmm. Yeah, uh, so, so it's a huge coverage, and it is for any adversary uh, to be in the in the umbrella where we can hit uh, with Brahmos. Uh, it is a big threat to any uh, uh, adversary.
0: What adversary would we be fighting uh, in
1: this in the south? No, it would be uh, anybody. You, uh, uh, Pakistan Navy or Chinese Navy. Chinese Navy in particular. Hmm. All your sea routes go through. so the uh, the Navy concentrates a lot in Indian Ocean because the entire sea route is there.
0: And especially so, with Haman Tota and all that, which is uh, coming.
1: Absolutely. Up. So, so uh, you, we we need offensive forces there, and uh, the entire support to Navy from uh, it uh, anti-shipping uh, point of view. Southern Air Command is very well uh, positioned, and uh, the, the next best position is under Manne where also we uh, position our offensive assets. So, Southern Air Command had a good role, and uh, it's a very good reach. You know, it oversees the Indian Ocean. It it is virtually, uh, it can look over and control entire uh, offensive capability there.
2: And you uh, carried out a lot of uh, exercises when you were uh, in Southern Air Command. Uh, I remember uh, during Gagan Shakti, uh, the Southern Air Command aircraft with um, Brahmos, uh, that time I guess it was simulated that they uh, they had gone long deep into Indian Ocean to carry out simulated strikes and absolutely, those quite absolutely,
1: we demonstrated with Su 30 with Brahmos, uh, the uh, reach kind of reach that can be there. The pilots practiced it. Uh, there were a lot of uh, exercises with other uh, navies of the world. There was an exercise with the U.S. Navy uh, with the carrier. Uh, there was an exercise uh, with the uh, uh, you know um, the British Navy. So there were many exercises that were executed from Southern Air Command. Uh, in in the recent past, last uh, two, three years.
0: So you've also worked on the LCA project, tell us about that. You were a test pilot, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I I was on the LCA project as part of the uh, project team, uh, the Mm. test pilot team initially. Thereafter, I was the chief test pilot. I was also the, uh, you know, program director uh, from the flight testing, national flight testing. Uh, uh, LCA from um, the perspective of indigenous development, in the field of aviation, I think was our biggest achievement uh, of the last two decades in technology, Mm -hmm. in in industrial capability, in in the aviation field in particular. And I don't think uh, uh, this is recognized that what has LCA done to our industry and not only to the Defence Forces in terms of capability. Uh, It is a huge uh, uh, capability when you are able to uh, do composites, when you are able to Uh, integrate all your latest sensors, weapons, uh, when you have computer-controlled systems, uh, when you are able to uh, build the aircraft in this combination. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, aircraft normally, if it is a heavier aircraft, bigger aircraft, it's easier to design and develop. A low-combat aircraft is tricky and uh, that was well-achieved. In its class, it is one of the best in the world, let me tell you. And I'm not saying it just because I've flown it, uh, you know. Uh, Thereafter, uh, once it was operationalized, once the air-to-ground weapons and air-to-air missiles were checked Mm. out, uh, it has proven itself.
2: Sir, uh, Mm. on this point, I want to ask you about, uh, I remember when you were uh, in the office of Chief of Air Staff, uh, most of the people credit you for the signing of the Rafal contract because I remember… You and the then Defense Minister Manohar Parikar were quietly working on it, moving it ahead and got it signed. You were the Deputy Chief at that time. And uh, uh, for our uh, listeners and viewers, uh, the Deputy Chief of Air Staff in the Indian Air Force is responsible for the procurement of weapon systems for the entire force, modernization of the force. So uh, uh, that uh, that was a project which was very close to your heart. But you were also behind the uh, LCA Mark one a project, the 83 of which you uh, and uh, uh, Mr. Parikar got cleared. Mm -hmm. So, uh, tell us about that experience, sir. Uh, How did it happen? Because uh, as far as I I know, sir, there was a
1: lot of reluctance mm -hmm. to uh, go ahead with it, but… You know, uh, Rafael, firstly, since you mentioned, it was… very, very important capability induction that was uh, far overdue and uh, uh, it got complicated because the previous uh, negotiations had stopped after the government uh, intervened and brought this intergovernmental agreement uh, possibility. Uh, So this uh, as head of negotiating team, I was the head of negotiating team, uh, uh, securing this contract and negotiating it properly was very important. And, and so finally it was achieved, and uh, that's how the aircraft got inducted. And when Galwan happened, it was the game changer to, mm. you know, this, uh, this capability there was just in time and it made so much of a difference in capability. I think LCA was equally important. Uh, uh, you might not know that initially, uh, before Mark 1A was envisaged, actually uh, after initial 40 LCA, uh, Mark 2 was to have gone in. Uh, that got delayed uh, for uh, reasons of, you know, it continued to get keep getting discussed uh, with the industry and Air Force. And uh, uh, the decision itself was not crystal clear, not implemented. So the Mark II, uh, at that time, the way it was uh, seen that time did not happen. And uh, we were again, you know, with only 36 uh, Rafales, we were going to be very tight on numbers and we decided to go in for Mark 1A, which was a, a small add-on to the basic LCA. Basically at refueling a better weapon, you know, um, or software defined radio or uh, a better EW so so, uh, and, and a radar, said radar. Overall it was a small addition which will come in quickly, that was. Uh, and uh, my attention to 83 was as much as wa- was for Rafael incidentally. And then we ensured that that finally happened and it got into, it is under production now.
2: And uh, how much uh, did you, how much support did you get from uh, Mr. Parikar? No,
1: we we had all out support, absolutely all out support.
0: Is there, there was a lot of uh, uh, political turmoil with regard to the purchase of the aircraft and post that also, an entire election was fought. Uh, on, the issue. on the Rafale issue. So what does it impact on the Air Force? How does it impact at that time that could this become the Beaufort? And Air Force has saddled with that. Beaufort was an army thing. If Rafale, if those allegations had stuck, that means again, purchase of any aircraft after that would have gone under cloud. What do you, as Air Force, uh you know how do you deal with it at that stage
2: and and since you had dealt dealt it with personally you were uh, very uh, you played a very big role in getting the clearance for the aircraft as negotiating team head what was going through in your mind when all these allegations mm. were flying around
1: you know i must tell you since i know all the facts those allegations could have never stuck absolutely not possible you know the basic thing was that it's a higher price it's than the previous contract uh, it was part of a joint statement which uh, honorable prime minister signed that uh, cleared uh, after his visit that the price will be lower than the last negotiated price that that was uh, a dictate to us it it was our guiding principle there was no question of you know uh, having uh, the final cost even a rupee higher than that absolutely no question and finally the cost that we established Uh, That should have been the cost of the uh, previous, uh, uh, you know, process that was on, Uh, with entire uh, unanimity in in the entire team. You are aware that some members had put in, and this also was uh, had become part of the narrative of uh, Mm -hmm. the people opposing this uh, induction and saying, uh, laying allegations uh, that uh, there were uh, conflicting views within the team, and they were not, you know, they. of course, some members had put up some concerns, but on the issue of what should be the price, there was complete unanimity and we went below that price uh, by, by a significant amount. So there was no question of this ticking that the price was higher, absolutely no. And let me tell you again, CAG uh, in their audit, they were very, very thorough, mm. very ruthless in fact, in terms of the kind of details they uh, went into and uh, we had to convince them. And, and finally, they were convinced the final price that they came up on ours was very, very close, very mm. close. There were minor things that they didn't agree, but very close. Uh, on price issue, one more thing, uh, you know, because it was intergovernmental agreement, we went uh, away from a normal process. In our defense procurement process, you normally put escalation as a fixed value mm. so that you have a fixed contract amount, fixed contract amount. It doesn't vary. Uh, we said no, uh, looking at inflation uh, in that area where aircraft is going to be made, uh, we would go in for a uh, you know calculated rate of inflation, there are formulas which are there, and we went in for that. Uh, because it was an inter agreement, it was possible. This is the first time we have done that uh, in this kind of contract. And we have saved close to 1 billion just on that decision. 1 billion finally uh, the actual figure would have gone higher than that i don't know the latest i've not done a calculation but roughly because the inflation remained in the 1.2 1.4 5 uh, uh, kind of range if it was a fixed rate contract it would have been at at least 3.6% imagine over a period of 6 to 7 years what it does hmm. uh, to to the cost so these were the uh, 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 you know actions we took to ensure that we get a good price All other issues, you know, that were made Uh, in allegations were absolutely without basis. That
0: HAL's back was broken and… No,
1: no, uh, HAL was part of uh, negotiations. They they were the ones uh, who had got stuck uh, on the issue of uh, two, three issues that were finally not resolved. So they were part of that. So there was no question of uh, 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 that happening. And these 36 were just fly away.
0: And offsets Uh, also, that also came under…
1: Offsets uh, at that time, uh, it was just uh, in fact uh, the amount of offsets in this, this project were higher. Uh, that was another achievement. That was another, di- uh, you know, dictated from the government too uh, that uh, offsets will be uh, more. And uh, that time to lay allegation that offsets uh, will not be done or was not proper is not correct. Let the offsets uh, be delivered thereafter. Those decisions. A- and you are
2: saying, on? sir, that uh, we saved $1 billion in this co- contract for 36? Of With course,
1: this, if because just because we went in for a variable uh, I- uh, inflation, uh, and and in fact, uh, if I remember correctly, CAG in their report also uh, commented that yes, this this is uh, something that should be looked at. After initially, they were just uh, too many questions on this, th- this. was the first. as to why you have done this, but finally, uh, just imagine three point six versus an average of one point three odd percent.
3: It's and so a this a was also
2: difference. the first time that a serving uh, three-star officer was uh, appointed as the head of the negotiating team?
1: Uh, I don't know whether it's the first time, but it was my first time.
3: <laughs> no, but
2: but do you, uh, yeah. because uh, I think uh, as far as I recall earlier in the previous contract, the joint secretary who was a civilian... Uh, M.O.D. Uh, yeah, MOD yeah. He, yeah. he was the, the in charge yeah. of negotiations. No, for
1: all, all, uh, all negotiations, that is the norm. Yeah. Oh. But for this J C M, he's the uh, head And of the for this, firm. uh the uh, the government had uh, yes. put faith in a uh um, no, it was a conscious decision taken. It was an intergovernmental agreement. For a so, man who has flown uh, oh, this,
0: twenty-six different uh, type of aircraft, they, he was, they given the he was given the responsibility that if we are buying these expensive okay. aircraft, we better have a man
1: who has flown. Is that do you, do you think that that's the reason you? No, were I, I would say it is more to do with that it was an intergovernmental agreement, and it was uh, you know uh, from their side also there was a three-star uh, who was uh-huh, appointed, okay. and therefore uh, this action was taken, and we had the other people from the ministry as part of the team, Okay. so they were part of the team, right. it's not, so it was little different, it was uh, no, not a usual thing. Tougher
2: than flying the 26 different types of aircraft? <laughs> uh,
1: in some ways, yes. Which
0: in one, I know it's unfair to pick, but if you were to pick which aircraft did you find the most challenging and which one was the most fulfilling flying the, the aircraft?
1: Challenging, uh, I think technology wise, the more the technology comes in, that becomes a challenge to mm. to be able to use it to fully. Mm. Okay. Uh, when I flew the Rafale, I, I, I've i done yeah. uh, the conversion to even flew the fighter in Rafale and that is technologically way ahead. And so technologically, it's a bigger challenge, but from flying perspective, it is much easier to fly. Mm. Uh, th- there's a range in between which was not technologically so advanced. and uh, Uh, You know, you have to do a lot as pilot, for example, Jaguar, that is a bigger challenge to fly. uh, Because? It's heavier. No, no, not question of heavier, there are too many systems, too many operations to be done. Okay. And then uh, I would say on the other side, even Su-30, you need to know a lot and to be able to utilize all your systems. So it's just a question of training, it's not a real challenge, I would say. Do you miss Uh, your flying days? Of course.
0: You do. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go into and, and
1: And I continued to fly as chief. I uh, practically flew all the fighters, hmm. uh, most of the types, even as chief, because hmm. that was my way of connecting with the field. I you remember, uh, um, I must
2: uh, talk about this, sir, because I heard it from, uh, I, I guess I had even told you.
0: Source ni dena uh,
2: No, I mean, it's <laughs> not a source, ma'am. It was very sweet of uh, General uh, Rawat. He was the CDS at that time and sir was the chief of air staff. So, uh, sir would... Uh, visit the air bases. Uh, he would go in the morning and come back in the evening, attend meetings of uh, CDS and all. So, once he said, So, it MiG-29 meetings So, it was kind of a compliment, the type of uh, flying he would do as a chief.
1: So, yeah. that was the image he had. No, it was my way of connecting with the field. In fact, I flew most of the transport in Air types too. Mm. And uh, you, you fly with the unit you know in that yeah. one hour more than you can know in six hours in that unit. Yeah. Also, you uh, tend to get a s- sense of what's to be done next. Mm. Uh, first is what do people need? What else? And what next can happen? So you're
0: uh, a second generation 4G. What as when you looked at the orop uh, what was your uh, reaction to it do you think that it's it it was something that is going to uh, deter people who are from 4G families to go into that or not
1: i'm a fourth generation foji fourth generation
0: fourth i'm generation. sorry i thought 2nd no, gen- generation. fourth generation, fourth generation. My, my
1: father was in the air force but my grandfather in the army my great grandfather in the army too oh uh, so great grandfather world war 1 grandfather of world war 2 father from all other <laughs> Was from to, uh, 62, 62, right? 65, 71. 71, and after that I took over. Goodness. <laughs> so, okay. So there's not a war where we, our family wasn't there. Uh, on the OROP, I think, uh, you know, what has come out, I don't think there's a concern from that angle at all. Hmm. It, it is something that has, uh, you know, that was required, uh, that was uh, the kind of aspirations of the tired community, and that has been uh, achieved. There's what needs to be done more uh, in terms of what follow on action etc that will happen in its own course sir there is this there's
2: this, uh, there's this uh, political comment on the issue there's uh, that uh, the orop uh, it favored the officers more than uh, the jawans the officers got a
1: better deal than the jawans do oh, you no, think no. That leave it? the politics out of it but i think uh, there's nothing like that uh, uh, there are some kind of, uh, you know, uh, some some areas where such thinking or agitation is there, you know, some combinations. But uh, there are two, three issues. One, the committee that looks at all these issues, looks at everything in its totality. They are financial experts. They look at all these issues. Secondly, uh, it's not a question of disparity at all, or something was done more for officers or this. These are absolutely... Uh, vitiated comments. What is important is that there are some anomalies which have which have got left out, which which are still to be resolved. Those have been identified. They've been taken up. Those are under process. Mm. So so th- those are kind of recognized. Okay, these are issues that need to be resolved, which which is uh, which has been taken up. Mm. And and uh, some of the things are understood by uh, the veteran committee. Some. Uh, at times, I find that are not understood in its own perspective or it, there is just a, uh, a kind of impatience that it is still, it has not happened. Okay. W-
0: what okay. about the Agnipath scheme? Uh, do you think that you will be able to get a uh, quality manpower from the Agnipath scheme as far as the Air Force is
1: concerned? Quality manpower wise, no issues. Absolutely no issues. And if, I, I would say as we go forward, once this uh, uh, scheme uh, stabilizes uh we would have a regular uh, you know uh, system wherein after the initial you know four years uh, that happens 25% hmm. of the people who remain in the service would go through next level of training our our, our problem is that uh, s- most of our equipment is highly technical in nature hmm. so the technically trained uh, manpower is, is is the issue and that needs to be factored in this new scheme and that, is, uh, that will get factored. So, it's not an issue uh, from the basic quality point of view. In fact, the quality might improve because, uh, you know, the uh, more qualified people may want to come in, uh, get exposed to this, try out uh, whether they would like to continue work uh, for the initial period of engagement and thereafter take their own choice of going out. Mm-hmm. So, it works both ways. We would uh, select the best 25% and they would have a choice to also uh, look for a change of career option mm-hmm. so i don't think quality would be an issue and and this will all settle down right and uh, we must remember the services once uh, 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 you know uh, something is taken up the, the leadership uh, ensures that it will succeed mm. uh, the, if there is a uh, there is something to be sorted out if there are issues to be uh, reorganized as far as training is concerned uh, duration or or the type or the aids of the training or whatever, it will be taken care so of.
0: So the presumption so is that due diligence would have been done on on such a big project because it means like literally lacks of uh, men and women who will be inducted in some way or the other in the next uh, couple of years. So some kind of due diligence would have been done before this project was launched,
1: right? Of course, of course. Yeah. This feeling that due diligence is not done is absolutely untrue. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was discussed for nearly a year and a half or more in fact. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a lot of discussion, lot of options. Uh, uh, how we would do? What, what are the option? Three year option, four year option, five year, fifty percent, you know, twenty five percent. So, so th- this was all. Uh, pros and cons were discussed. Yeah. A lot of effort uh, went behind it, and I do, I have no doubt it will succeed.
2: Sir, uh, uh, I know personally uh, when you were the, you took over as chief soon after. Uh, General Bipin Rawat, uh, the late General Bipin Rawat, the first CDS of the country. He took over as the first CDS of the country. And I remember you were the first one uh, to have uh, given a bite that the Indian Air Force, you assured full support and backing to the office of CDS uh, created by the government. Uh, uh, Now, uh, after some time, sir, there was, uh, uh, I think you and he were uh, together uh, on a TV, uh, uh, in a seminar, speaking Mm -hmm. in a seminar. Where he said that uh, uh, air force was mainly for supporting. It was a support arm kind of a thing. Mm. And soon after, you clarified the issue. And there was a uh, there was uh, this image or uh, perception that you and he were uh, not on good terms, and you had a fight between yourselves, and uh, people had to intervene.
1: What actually was the scene? Sir? No, no, I don't know where you hear all this. Of course, uh, what happened on the uh, uh on that day in the in that uh interaction uh, on the media uh, when that statement was made i was asked and i said no it's not so but uh, I, I left it at that and i uh, in fact mentioned very clearly that there is not an issue which i'd like to debate on tv or uh, come out with the air force perspective of what has been said uh, on tv whatever we have to say in terms of uh, what the air force uh, issues were and what needs to be taken care of uh, was in our internal discussions uh, between the three services uh, with CDS and uh, uh, in writing too. So uh, the, uh, I, I didn't take it beyond that at all. And if you're asking that there was a fight after that, absolutely untrue. In fact, I met him the same evening. Next day he was uh, in my office on a, plan, a visit that was uh, pre planned. Uh, and uh, this issue also I uh, discussed with him the, the same very evening that, that this is what happened and this is what this So I'll not go into what we discussed, but uh, this feeling or this gen that you have, that uh, we had a fight after that, absolutely untrue. These are professional opinions, we must understand. So, so uh, it shouldn't have been uh, uh, on, on on the TV and, and that is I think what was unfortunate. But uh, in terms of what is important for the service, how best to integrate, these are uh, professional opinions which must be made.
2: And, and sir, like you were the Chief of Air Staff at that time, 1st January 2020 when the new first CDS was appointed. So how was it working with him as uh, the CDS? It was great. I
1: don't think there was ever a moment where my support to him was not there. We were a great team. I used to interact with him a lot, uh, in fact and uh, I, I don't know what your information is on that but as far as i am concerned no i am uh, my there, information there, there, is <laughs> that it was, <laughs> there, there, was <laughs> there was there was full uh, uh support from our side and when we've uh, you know discussed and sorted out so many things so there, there was never even after this we, we discussed our opinions clearly and thereafter uh, continued uh, forward
0: sir is there uh, a pecking order among the uh, chiefs of course you will not Say it, but can you hint towards it? Is there the army chief more uh, senior to an air force chief, to a naval chief? To how is there a pecking order? I or wouldn't
1: say pecking same? order. There's a protocol mm. of of who stands where in terms of depending on requirement and this thing. So so that is there, and there is a seniority. Uh, mm. Both are well defined, so there is there is no dispute in. What that.
0: is more important? Kind of a thing comes in simply because for most. Uh, civilians, and you see the Republic Day parade, Pele Army, Ati, Fair Air Force, Ati, Navy, Ati, mm-hmm. even the bands come like that. So yeah. then people so th- tend to. That is think a protocol
1: s- sequence. So it's uh, just
0: protocol. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: it is yeah, not yeah, seniority. Yeah, yeah. Even if the Air Force also was senior to the Army, uh, army Chief, uh, this would remain. So th- mm-hmm. that's why. there's this, a protocol and there's a seniority. Because the Army uh, is senior in terms yeah, of service seniority. This is well laid out. I don't think there's a. Uh, right. Uh, concern there or angst there.
0: No, no <laughs> angst, but just just yeah, curiosity yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, would be yeah. there. Ki senior kaun banta hai? not mm-hmm. in terms of years, yeah. but in terms of uh, pecking order? Yeah, yeah. Like, for example, when the Nikalti, are So it's CDS and after that, mm-hmm. Army Chief. Mm-hmm. So, why is that? Is just that that's a tradition, that's a protocol? Yeah, that's this
1: all? protocol is well laid out. It's, it's
0: really. Nikarte, Rakshamantri Nikarte, uh, and to tell
1: you honestly, I've never looked at it because when my car came, I sat in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so there are people who look at it. Uh, <laughs> they, they are the ones uh, who look at it uh, because never, we are waiting for I've never yeah. felt it. Ob-
0: it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you don't know whether the CDS is there or not. so That's how we get to know, otherwise we never did, right? Because the Field Marshal's car wasn't there, because he was, he's not there in most occasions. But anyway, so now let's get on to your post-retirement job. Once you came out of the Air Force, now that you are working, what do you do uh, in your new assignment?
1: My assignment with Uttar Pradesh, you mean? Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, you are aware of defence corridor. Hmm. Uh, There are two uh, corridors, one in Tamil Nadu, one in Uttar Pradesh. So uh, I was uh, asked by the Uttar Pradesh government uh, whether Hmm. I would uh, help them in setting up this corridor and advise them. So I said yes. So I joined them nearly a year back Hmm. uh, and uh, first five, six months I was Uh, Quite deeply involved in terms of, there are six nodes there, Hmm. Uh, that is Lucknow, uh, Kanpur, uh, Agra, Aligarh, Jhansi, and Chitrakoot. It it is progressing well. Hmm. Uh, I think uh, in three places the initial land bank that was taken is full almost. So Lucknow, Kanpur, and Aligarh, the next round of land bank acquisition is in progress. So that's a good sign. Jhansi is nearly half full. Uh, Agra is uh, starting up. Already, the round two is being planned. Uh, Chitrakoot uh, is is a little uh, out of the way and uh, is now starting to get populated. So, uh, in terms of numbers, is now looking good. Uh, Thirty five odd plus, uh, you know, uh, industrial partners have already joined in. Okay. Uh, some construction work has started. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, in some. Uh, I think even uh, production will start by end of the year. Right. Yeah, by by August and all some inaugurations are, are planned. Hmm. Uh, no, August, August of 2024. No, no uh, I would say no end of the year. Okay. A- end of the year, uh, one or two inaugurations. Then uh, Brahmos by uh, April of next year, uh, and uh, by August of next year, we should have at least four or five in operation. So okay. this is the the overall picture at the moment.
0: Right. How is the transition been, sir, from being in the services to the civilian sector.
2: And uh, b-
1: promoting Make in India. No, this this was a totally different ball game. but uh, you know, I have been associated with the industry as part of LCA project and later on also uh, being in the acquisition or on the plants branch uh, interacting with them. So I knew uh, industry, but mainly DPSUs, not so much in the private sector uh, quite well. Uh, after this thrust at indigenization and many of the issues that I looked at, and I have myself, uh, uh, with with very clear mindset that private sector participation and this indigenization thrust must increase, uh, this uh, job gave me a very good perspective of the private sector, the MSMEs, the startup. I visited all the IITs. I've I've gone through, uh, you know, uh, most of the uh, big players. Many of the MSMEs that I've visited and interacted with a lot of startups. So my my uh, uh, let's say exposure to the private industry and this startup also lately in the space sector hmm. uh, has been huge, and that that's been uh, a lot of learning for me.
0: So uh, it's a question that I ask most people who come on the podcast is about uh, mental strength. Since you have flown so many different kind of aircraft, you've had uh, situations where you know. You've been responsible for the welfare of thousands of people under you. Uh, What is required of an air chief as far as uh, mental strength is concerned for the capacity when you're sitting in the cockpit and then when you are in charge of so many people under you to have a mental balance, to have mental strength and keep that composure?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with the kind of, if you spend 40 years in the service, this, this comes naturally in, in terms of preparing, if you talk about flying, preparing for it and devoting the right kind in terms of preparation and knowing the subject and delivering. In terms of handling the service itself, again, you go through various stages of leadership and by the time you achieve, you know very well what, what is required. Uh, the strength is required, of course, there are two, a lot of things to be tackled, you need to manage your time well, you need to delegate, you need to do a whole lot of things simultaneously. Uh, I, I didn't find it a problem. Hmm. It, it 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 worked well and I think uh, I enjoyed doing it and I had a wonderful team. In fact, everything finally boils down to the people you have, finally. Okay. so So the people matter and my attention to people has been one of the major focus areas in my tenure.
2: Sir, since you're talking about people and the taking responsibility of uh, people under you, you were the chief and the air safety record at that time is, I guess, one of the best. But still, uh, in service and after service, how does it feel, sir, when people start... You have yourself flown the MiG-21s. How does it feel when people start blaming the service for not... Phasing out the vintage aircraft, yeah. where a lot of people, a lot of pilots, mm-hmm. uh, brave pilots, have lost their lives.
1: <coughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a you know difficult situation to explain. But uh, you must understand that every aircraft will go through this cycle. They would come a stage. What LCA is today, twenty-five years, thirty years down the line, would be in similar situation as what MiG twenty-one is today. Uh, okay, MiG-21 fundamentally is a very good aircraft. What what uh, needs to be remembered is that uh, apart from life, that matters in some respect, but important is every single maintenance aspect of it, the engine issues, the, everything is looked at uh, very clearly in terms of airworthiness. Yes, uh, old aircraft have their own uh, vulnerability towards increased susceptibility for accidents, incidents, etc. And that is something that needs to be factored. Important issue is uh, that we need to, uh, you know, improve our sustainability, the kind of maintenance, our our uh, ability to have spares in time, our ability to uh, have the engines, our engine manufacturing and overall capability within the uh, within the country, be it H L or be it in the private sector in future. That is up to the mark, especially when you're dealing with vintage aircraft. So that is the area to co- uh, to concentrate. Now. uh, There were five uh, uh, 1 scones now, there were uh, uh, eight, nine when uh, I was there. You can't phase out uh, eight to nine uh, scones overnight, just because there are one or two accidents. So this is something that we have to deal with. Uh, Of course, from the people, from from the nation's perspective, uh, when you lose a pilot, of course, there would be a backlash, there would be questions, that's something we need to also factor in, we need to also uh, proactively see that those issues get addressed uh it it is all a combination of how well you prepare as the aircraft gets old and i think there is a need to prepare for that and be aware and handle the maintenance and uh, the sustainability of the fleet well and it's, it's, it's you can't wish away this every aircraft will go through the cycle and we are not a you know very rich country where we can afford to just uh, you know overnight uh, stop some it's 200 aircraft and go in for some new aircraft
2: Not possible. You think, sir, uh, that uh, this situation of the MiG 21s having to continue for so long, do you think the uh, inactivity in terms of modernization or procurement of new aircraft, we lost a decade around 2000 and post that, uh, almost 15 years, 15, 16 years, when we didn't even decide what we were planning to do? is that inactivity or uh, inability to take a decision also responsible for this? Situation?
1: Yeah, yeah, all that, all that counts, all that gets factored in. You know, if you delay your uh, new inductions, uh, you uh, get a delayed induction after you put a contract in place. Uh, uh, what needs to your induction gets delayed by two to three years. Uh, for example, the Su Thirty induction, if you see from original timelines to final timeline that we got. All that finally boils down, and and all this impinges on your ability to uh, de-induct a fleet uh, faster. So you need to uh, we go going through life cycle, uh, you know, life extensions. We uh, go in for additional overalls, etc., etc. So if we have inductions in time, if we have a faster process in procurement, if we have a uh, and and all that will happen if you have more and more indigenous aircraft. The moment the moment you have a you know a import involved, the life cycles as such are higher. The costs are higher, life cycles are higher, life cycle times of spares are higher. So this is a problem which was complex because of all these factors. It will s- naturally start reducing the moment you have all the indigenous fleets coming in. You will have uh, you know, the supply chain which are mostly indigenous, they would still be external. Uh, you would have abilities for overall that is indigenous, so faster cycle mm-hmm. times and all these problems will be lesser. So, so uh, you know, in times to come, I think we will handle uh, this Mm -hmm. situation better. I
2: mean, how do you see the future, uh, future uh, fleet of air air force? How how much percentage would be indigenous?
1: Varied and huh? No, I think uh, very clearly with our experience with LCA now, uh, Mark One A being on track. I hope. uh, Hundred more are coming. uh, I hope uh, uh, this Mark One A delivery is on time. 100 more, yeah, I, I uh, saw your news article, I think uh, that is a great sign. Uh, but I, I read it as Mark 1a, I think we should look at Mark 2, unless Mark 2 is delayed. If Mark 2 is on time, it would be a good time to straight away go to Mark 2. Uh, I, I don't know for, you for know, uh, view on this, I have, I have not read, neither discussed. But uh, I think uh, 100 more is a great idea. So finally, our Mark 1a, Mark 2 and AMCA in particular, uh, when that comes in, AMCA phase 1 and phase 2, uh, this will f- primarily form the backbone of the Indian Air Force. Uh, the other aircraft will continue to kind of uh, de-induct and uh, this will continue to increase.
2: And you think uh, 36 Rafals are enough? Nothing is again,
1: enough, I'm sure. N- no. Nothing is enough. <laughs> when you have 31 scorn, nothing is enough. Absolutely, I, <laughs> I, I I agree with that. But uh, again, it is you know an issue that needs to be balanced with your indigenous. Uh, the most important aspect, I think, is to speed up our indigenous production uh, and to speed up our uh, rate of production. You you can't have eight to ten aircraft production in a year. So if sixteen is the plan, sixteen must roll out in a year. Now we should target twenty-four with Mark II's. If hundred order is being put now, uh, uh, and and uh, six more squads will surely come in later, you need to set up a production rate. Uh, of, of that nature. Even with that higher production rate, if you just do your calculation, you will find that uh, there is, you know, uh, the, the rate at which fleets are going out, uh, there is, there would be a gap. So, going beyond 36 would be dictated by what this gap is. So I would say it will dep- uh, depend upon how fast Mark 1 and 2 are emerging and Force would certainly do this study and how, what is the absolute critical requirement. To my mind, that absolute minimum critical requirement should be looked at and followed up.
0: So when we were talking about old aircraft, I have to ask you, what happened to, in your opinion though it's a civilian aircraft, but what really happened to Justin Trudeau's uh, aircraft? Why did he bring such an old aircraft and then the maintenance, the second one also replacement aircraft, that also goes bad? What 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 so, went wrong?
1: Uh, uh, I think the stars were wrong because, <laughs> uh, uh, t- you know, technical uh, malfunctions can happen anytime. It is, it is, uh, it should not happen at that level. But it for should a head, not, yeah, head of state. Uh, uh, but, but. At times it does, and uh, uh, normally you, uh, what we do is we have a backup aircraft at all yes, times. Yes, because and uh, it would be so that strange that be uh, mm-hmm. Air
0: India One, uh, mm-hmm. when uh, Prime Minister Modi went to Canada, Air India One was there, and there was some technical problem, and there was there was a spare aircraft. Absolutely, and uh, we flew in the spare aircraft, uh, which was real Qatar, uh, because it's Qatar in the sense I shouldn't use that word because the Prime Minister flew it, but uh, and there was it was f- flight worthy, but. Uh inside the plane, because it was a spare, it was one of those which nobody thought there would be any need, I yeah, guess. Yeah. So inside it was not configured That's for the Prime yeah. Minister, because otherwise, inside Air India one yeah, used yeah. to be a separate uh, cabin for the Prime Minister. That day there wasn't, because this was the spare which was being used. But there was. there's always a spare and we are a developing nation. And even we have that and here is, you know, a country which is like so far developed. He was flying such a Buddha aircraft. Why?
1: We are far ahead of what, where we think we are. Okay. We always have a spare and we always care about this. And so such an old
0: they, aircraft for a Prime Minister?
1: They have to address it. They have to address <laughs> it's it. It's time they address it. Yeah. Uh, apart from many other things. And
0: the yeah. embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> and the embarrassment that. A second, why didn't he fly commercial? What do you think? Usually, uh, the the questions everybody was uh, that why didn't he fly commercial?
1: Uh, I'll stay away from these answers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it, it, it's right. something that they need to address, and I'm sure they, they are looking at it deeply. All right, it, it's, okay. it's something sh- that shouldn't happen. But but uh, uh, I also read that uh, our government offered uh, the VVIP one, which was offered to them. That uh, that was great.
0: But that also was. I found a little yeah. strange, sir. Okay. So. You tell me, if you were sitting in, uh, you have to fly a head of state, an incident could happen, right? In I mean, a- aircraft is, you're going in an aircraft of a foreign nation. I don't think it could, I think the Indians knew very well that uh, no, they would I, not I take think, it. No?
1: no, I don't think, I think it was a genuine offer. Hmm. They didn't take it because probably their aircraft was already uh, hmm. uh, thought to be on way in or uh, should have come in. I don't think that concern should be there. Right. I mean, as a professional, uh, okay. I, I don't think there, there should be a concern.
0: Okay. all yes, right. sir.
2: Yeah. Like it was in your tenure that uh, we got the triple sevens for the uh, prime minister. <laughs> uh, how do you compare it with the uh, ones used by heads of states of developed
1: countries? Absolutely world class. Absolutely world class. Very modern, very capable. Everything is there. Don't ask me what is there. <laughs> Everything is there.
0: Okay, all right. On that note, thank you so much, sir, for be sparing the time and coming on the podcast, and wishing you all the best.
1: Thank you very much. It was great interacting with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for watching or listening to this edition of ANI Podcast with Smita Prakash. Do keep writing in with your suggestions. Also, like and subscribe to this channel. Namaste, Jai Hind. Click here to watch the previous episodes.